MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, and I am your co-host, Andrew Torres. And I am the other co-host, Allison Gill. Episode 23, my favorite number, 23. We have a fantastic <laughs> show for you today. But first, as always, we need to thank our patrons who support this show over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod. For as little as a dollar an episode, y'all, you get episodes ad-free, you get them early, and you get all the bonus content. It's really worth it. So if you haven't done that yet, consider doing it now. It's a great way to say I love you with the <laughs> gift of a spatula. No, with, with the right. gift of a <laughs> spatula city. Spatula city. Spatula city. Uh, I gotta be honest with you, as much as I love spatula city, it's been a rough week. We have just two new patrons, so I'm going to take them. Uh, that is... The future Mrs. Enright. Thank you so much. And uh, Butch. So thanks to the two of you for supporting the show. Um, yeah, we're, you know, I'd like this segment to be a tiny bit longer, guys. Butch. <laughs> the very rich Mr. Butch. Yes, exactly. Uh, and if you'd like to join them, head on over to patreon.com slash 45 pod. And now on to the A block. Woo. All right. We begin by examining the status of the Department of Justice investigation into the insurrection. Because there's a lot of misinformation floating around these days, a lot yeah. of impatience, uh, notably on social media this past weekend, especially when a story made the rounds that Roger Stone and Alex Jones were finally being investigated as part of the probe into, into who led the attack, right? The leaders. Yeah, and... and Put a put a pin in Roger Stone. We're gonna we're gonna come back to him. Uh, but look, like that story came out months ago, right? February twentieth, right? The Washington Post published a story called "U.S. Investigating Possible Ties Between Roger Stone, Alex Jones, and Capitol Rioters," in which Spencer Sue and Devlin Barrett reported, "quote." According to people familiar with the investigation, the Justice Department and the FBI are investigating whether high-profile right-wing figures, including Roger Stone and Alex Jones, may have played a role in the January 6th Capitol breach as part of a broader look into the mindset of those who committed violence and their apparent paths to radicalization. Yes. So, yes, that story's been live since February, but people are retweeting it like it just came out. Uh, but <laughs> there was considerable breaking news this weekend with regards to the investigation, right? First, we received, as part of a court filing, part of a motion filed by the mm -hmm. government in court, a 302 
uh, again, you know, or that's a, that's an FBI interview document. It's called a, the form is called a 302 with Thomas Webster, who's an insurrectionist, show uh, excuse me, alleged insurrectionist, showing that uh, the FBI asked him several times if he was part of uh, any, you know, the Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, Three Percenters, but also asked him if he had any contact with members of Congress. Good question. <laughs> and that is the first known instance of prosecutors looking into ties between insurrectionists and members of Congress or their staff. Yeah, uh, excellent point. Additionally, we saw the first charge in any of these documents of federal terrorism. And this one was against Proud Boy Rob Geswine for, quote, felony destruction of property under the facts laid out above is a federal crime of terrorism. Title 18 U.S.C. Section 2332 G5 defines federal crime of terrorism as an offense that, quote, is calculated to influence or affect the conduct of government by intimidation or coercion or to retaliate against government conduct. So, yeah, uh, fits the facts. About time somebody got charged. <laughs> yeah, right. It is. Uh, and, you know, in following the cases coming up on the docket, many of them now, including Geswine, uh, including they they're now looking at it seems like this latest batch is all assaults on the mm. police the capitol police the case yeah. against webster who the fbi asked about ties to members of congress that guy is the ex new york police officer that was caught on video attacking uh the capitol police and in a right. filing against brian mock of minnesota the feds show photos of him knocking over a capitol police officer and smashing his elbow he also allegedly threatened a possible witness yeah, and, and one of the next videos that we may see ordered released by the D.C. court is that of Thomas Sibick. You might remember him. He's the guy that assault, that assaulted Officer Fanone, st stole his badge, and then buried it in his yard. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we might see that video soon. And then Scott Fairlam, whose mm. hearing is today on Wednesday, harassed and assaulted police outside the Capitol. Then there's Ryan Samsel, who knocked an officer unconscious. Then there's Mark Ponder, who's accused of swinging poles at cops and hitting one on the shoulder. So, Andrew, if we look at the fact that a source alleged the DOJ was investigating Stone and Alex Jones as early as February, and that 302 we've just seen asking Webster if he was in contact with members of Congress that that took place in February that interview that 302 I think it's safe to assume can we assume now the FBI is and was and is investigating the higher-ups and that this investigation is moving along maybe faster than people seem to think it is yeah I I think that's right I think that's a good read on the situation we have talked about this we have talked about this with a number of guests already Everybody wants to see, well, you know, <laughs> I, sh I say everybody, but 70% of the country wants to see justice done for what happened on 1-6, right? And that same 70% wants to see high-level indictments. We want to see connections to the Proud Boys, the three percenters, right? The, the, the folks who were coordinating this. Um, I, it, and we have you know, encouraged some degree of patience, right? Like the wheels of justice churn slowly. This to me is very, very solid evidence that um, this is top drawer at the DOJ. That is consonant with what my folks at DOJ that I talk to on a pretty regular basis have told me. Um, I, it, look, re remember, we're up, we're over 500 defendants at the moment, right? Like mm -hmm. this is a ton of work. It's a lot of effort to, right, 
tee up these cases to make sure that, you know, each and every person that you're prosecuting, that like, you know, you're not uh, allowing folks to skate uh, who, you know, were lower down the food chain. Um, it, 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 it's a ton of work. And I, and I feel optimistic that it, it fits into the pattern that we saw uh, beginning to be developed, uh, you know, during the second impeachment process, which is telling the story, connecting these threads, talking about where it begins. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of going the way that we said it would go I th- to me on a little faster timeline than I thought it would go. Yeah. Because, you know, we started with the typical, you know, misdemeanor, low level felonies of, of trespassing and violent entry into the Capitol and just being a general douchebag rounded everybody up. Then, you know, now we've seen these uh, right wing extremist militia groups, three percenters, Proud Boys, uh, Oath Keepers being charged with conspiracy. We're starting to see weapons charges. We now have three confirmed people who, who had weapons at the Capitol. So this is an armed insurrection. We got the boat guys who were going <laughs> to ferry over a bunch of guns across the Potomac. Uh, and, and next steps, I mean, are, you know, it, it stands to rain. We got all the, all the assaults on the officers. We have 140 cops injured and one dead. So it stands to reason we would go from there to the conspiracy to perhaps seditious conspiracy. Now we've got a terrorism charge and I'm sorry, but who's the king of terrorism charges in, in, <laughs> in the United States? It's Merrick Garland. Yeah. So, I mean, he knows what he's doing and it's, it seems to be going a lot faster. So I, I'm, I'm very heartened by these news stories. I just wanted to let everybody know that that story about looking into stone, it has nothing to do with his thing coming out on parlor today. This, this goes back to February. <laughs> Uh, although I still think Parler is an FBI joint, personally, but that's just in my <laughs> dreams. <laughs> and that's why, you, you know, nine out of every ten uh, uh, <laughs> accounts on there are actually uh, undercover informants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, be. now, if these instances, well, I mean, we just had, uh, you know, information that the, that one of the whole. Uh, abroad, there was a, an app created, like one of those messaging encrypted apps created by the feds. That's hilarious. Now, yeah. uh, if those instances, for example, the 302 with the federal crime of terrorism, the Roger Stone, Alex Jones, uh, uh, you know, anonymous source saying that they were being investigated by feds, that happened three months ago. Those were three months ago. I, I'm I'm sitting here, kind of in justice porn land, thinking what we're going to lo- what they're looking at now that we're going to learn about in three months. And if they were able to keep it quiet for so long, who knows what they're keeping quiet now? Yeah, and and uh, so two things I, I I think there. The the, the first is um, that really makes sense out of y- you know you and I do not have the uh, uh, temperament or the stomach to listen to Alex Jones. Uh, our friends over at Knowledge Fight do that, right? So Dan and Jordan, uh, and, and they have been talking about how Alex Jones, for about three and a half months, has been using rhetoric like, you know, the globalists are going to, you know, arrange to take me down and they've got, you know, they're going to bring a sham case and, you know, they can come after me and they can kill me, but like, I'll still be in the fight. So is Stone. So is Roger Stone. Yeah. Yeah. That. And so look like when you are the target of an investigation, right, like you are in informed uh, that you are either right, you know, the subject or the target. So like that, that rhetoric now makes a lot of sense. Yeah, right? Somebody got a target <laughs> letter. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, 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 
laying the groundwork for, you know, you're going to hear about this and, you know, don't, it's all part of the deep state conspiracy. Um, the, the second part in terms of, you know, what's out there that we're likely to see uh, play out for us. Um, it, it, you know, we've, we've talked about this. Uh, I thought uh, when we had Frank Figliucci on um, that, that, you know, he really, really emphasized in a way that made sense to me um, the idea that, you know, as you're investigating this, what you really care about is, you know, the the pushpins and twine, the the underlying relationships, who's behind uh, the the coordination, the organization. This was not, you know, a spontaneous event. And the, the more evidence that we see about that, that makes again, I'm not a prosecutor. That makes total sense to me in thinking about what a prosecutor would want to do, which is to figure out, like, who are your highest value targets in terms of the charges you can bring? And the highest value targets are the ringleaders, the ones who planned this, the ones who coordinated. Right. That's how you go and bring your conspiracy charges. Yeah. And you got to save room for them on this docket. Uh, so yeah. I don't want ever, everyone to get super sad when they start letting these lower level offenders like Jacob Chansley, for example, off the hook with maybe no jail time and probation. Uh, they're going to have to reach deals with a, a great majority uh, of these people, of these defendants. And the defendants know they have to that the feds have to reach deals because there's no way you can try 500 cases on the D.C. Yeah. docket. And they know that they want to save room for the the conspiracy uh, charges, the the officer assault charges, uh, and then the you know maybe the investigations into the higher ups. Uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe a hundred of the top charges that we you know we see that 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 they do want to bring on this docket, and that we're not going to see those until we start seeing some lesser cases, probably not dismissed, but but plead out, but yeah. dealt away for very low, very minimal jail time. And so I just wanted to remind everybody that that is going to happen regular shit on the docket right now is being scheduled two years from now i it it i i cannot underscore that more strongly right again i am a civil practitioner um i see right <laughs> you you have to understand what covid did to an already overburdened court system hey right? would this be a good argument this insurrection investigation and docket for expansion of the federal court system yeah it'd be a real <laughs> great one right right about now yeah this is i it, it, you know joe biden if you're listening and we know you are like th this is a great opportunity to talk about how uh, our judicial resources and 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 you could get the most conservative judges federal judges across the country, all of whom, you know, to a person would would tell you, yeah, we are criminally overworked at this point. Um, I have a very, very straightforward motion that has been pending in the U.S. District Court for the District of Maryland for 16 months at this point. Right. And 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 look like I don't I, I, I totally understand why that's the case. Right. Because this is a you know, civil dispute between two private parties and everybody ahead of me has a Sixth Amendment right to a speedy trial. Uh, but like, you know, you can't I, I, I just I just had a, a situation where, you know, a, uh, a low level crime uh, got added, uh, you know, to 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 one of my clients. Um, and that uh, arraignment is scheduled for December. 
right? Like it's it's just crazy. Um, and this is no way to run a country. It's no way to run a judiciary. And you know the the fact that uh, it would be President Biden appointing those judges. You know, I I I don't know that I would lead with that one if you're trying to to talk. About no, it. But, I I would say, yeah, look, we've got 500, 600 defendants. If you want any of them yeah. to see the light of a courtroom, as per their you know as per their constitutional rights to a speedy trial and to face their accusers. We have we need to expand the federal bench. Uh, and I think that would be a really good bellwether for expansion of the Supreme Court bench. Uh, but I, I think you'd have a lot of people on your side to do that under under these particular circumstances, especially like you said, after the impact of COVID. Yep. All right. Well, uh, I'm I'm super happy with the way that this investigation is going. I'm going to keep my eyes open. And I just wanted to prep everybody for perhaps some of those Lower level offenders not getting a lot of time. Just you know, kind of be trying to prep yourself for that. Uh, but we do have a lot, uh, a, a lot more very, very interesting stories. I know that later mm. on we're going to be talking a little bit about Roger Stone. We've got some information coming up about Merrick Garland. It's just, it's going to be a great rest of the show. I'm looking forward to it. Everybody, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's Allison, and today's episode of Clean Up on Aisle 45 is sponsored by Monk Pack. You know, it's really hard to find truly delicious, healthy snacks. Usually, the healthier they are, the worse they taste. But that is why I love Monk Pack. Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars contain less than one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 150 calories, and they actually taste really amazing. They're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle or people who just want to snack healthier. And they're the perfect snack for anyone who wants to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. The Monk Pack Keto Nut and Seed Bars have the perfect balance of sweet and salty. They have that crunch that you need when you're snacking, but they somehow manage to stay soft and chewy. They're delicious. And they have flavors like caramel sea salt and peanut butter dark chocolate. My favorite is caramel sea salt. It's so delicious. And since they're packed with protein, they're filling and satisfying. That is the big thing for me. 13 to 14 grams of protein per bar. I use them instead of, you know, those post-workout protein shakes now. They're perfect to indulge your sweet tooth also without any guilt. In addition to being keto-friendly, they're gluten-free, plant-based, non-GMO, no soy, no trans fats, no sugar alcohols, and no artificial colors. I love these. I signed up for a subscription to my favorite flavors, which saves me 10% on every order, and it ships them directly to me automatically to my house. Getting these delicious treats delivered to me on a regular basis has been a game changer in my effort to eat healthier because I'm a snacker. I'm a grazer. I like to snack, and these really help. So try it for yourself. You'll see. We have a special offer for you. Get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering the code CLEANUP, all one word, at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product. It has a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com. Select any product, enter the code CLEANUP, all one word, at checkout, and you'll save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And welcome back. For our next segment, I drew inspiration from our friend, Joyce White Vance, who's been on the show. Uh, she wrote an article in the uh, Washington Post last Wednesday arguing that Attorney General Merrick Garland inherited what, what she called, quote, ticking time bombs from the, uh, you know, former guy's administration. So, look, we have both been critical of Garland. Mm. Um, we've also highlighted the dynamic in the media that, you know, Garland disappoints the left. Like that is super easy, super lazy, super clickbaity. Right. So let's say it again. Let's be clear. Right. You and I, we are both solidly to the left of both Joe Biden and Merrick, and Merrick Garland. Right. We both wanted lobbied 
for an ass kicking, take no prisoners attorney general who was going to tackle the, you know, Trump family crime, you know, criminal syndicate and put them behind bars. So, right. We will continue to be vigilant on that score. But we also want to make sure that our criticisms of Garland are. Uh, you know, to to steal a phrase, fair and balanced, right? Yeah, say it with me. Nuance, right? right. Everything doesn't have to be so histrionic. It's not I, what I'm seeing. And, you know, again, I know Twitter isn't life, but what I'm seeing is it's either give him a chance or he's in bed with bar, you know, and yeah, it's like, right. <laughs> hey, you know what? Probably reality is somewhere in the middle. I mean, how many times have we said that? Uh, Joyce Vance's article um, it discusses the infamous decision by the Department of Justice to subpoena Apple, and we fa- later found out Microsoft, for information regarding accounts belonging to Democratic members of Congress and their staff and their families, and concealing that fact from them through gag orders for almost a year. And let's mm-hmm. not forget, no, wait, more than that, four years, excuse yeah. me, yeah. And, and let's not forget, those subpoenas were renewed twice lasting years. Uh, That is, as our friend points out, a radical departure, radical departure from the respect for the separation of powers that prevented even President Richard Nixon with his list of enemies from investigating (laughs) uh, members of Congress. Although I, you know, though I will say that, I mean, it has been shown or there has been reporting that they, that, uh, you know, Schiff and Swalwell per se weren't the targets, but they got swept up in a broader leak investigation into a senior House Intelligence Committee aide. But as Frank Vigluzzi said, check the phone numbers before you <laughs> before you subpoena the stuff. <laughs> yeah. And 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 I, I really appreciate that. Right. We want to be clear. Right. As of today, we do not know the story behind the subpoenas. Right. We don't know who ordered them. We don't even have confirming documents as to whether the White House was involved. Yeah, I mean, and that seems pretty implausible, right? <laughs> that they weren't involved. Yeah, right. That, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, he got yeah. up in, in in a speech and said, you know, I think there's leaks. I think there's a lot of leaks in the House Intelligence Committee, specifically from Adam Schiff. Take a look at Schiff. Take a look at Swalwell. Like, mm, come on. I, no, I. I agree. But 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 look, it, it, it is possible, right, that this was an incidental collection in the course of a properly predicated leak investigation. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now. Now. So to take your so so that's the one side to to take your point. What stands in opposition to that inference is right. As you mentioned, the public statements by the White House, the fact that the subpoena just happened to target two of the most vocal opponents of President Trump, you know, in Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell. Or at least peripherally, and, yeah, target them. Yeah, and, 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 and that we have rock solid evidence from, you know, post-impeachment one, when Trump fired everyone who testified against him, right? Gordon Sondland, Alexander Venman, his brother, Evgeny Venman, right? Like, th- this is gross behavior on the order, right, as, as, as you pointed out, that, you know, that would make Richard Nixon blush. So, you know, it it, it is not um, you're not going out far on a limb to think that, you know, this probably looks like uh, similarly targeted behavior. No. And that's the big question, right? It, it was yeah. this was there sufficient criminal predication or was it politically yeah. motivated? Because we know we know Inspector General Horowitz. He's done these kinds of investigations into the oranges of investigations before he did the entire Trump Russia probe came back and said, 
there's plenty of criminal predication here, and there was no political bias in open, you know, opening this yep. Uh, yep, investigation. Exactly. Uh, and, and these subpoenas, by the way, also extended to anyone who retrieved information about Jim Comey and mm-hmm. even to Trump's own White House counsel, Don McGahn, and his wife, yep. who was rumored to have been cooperating with the Mueller investigation at the time. He totally was. Uh, <laughs> even in hindsight, we recognize how very little he actually did. But he did actually, I mean, he did contribute to two of the five rock-solid obstruction of, yep. of justice yep. things. But, and, and, you know, and then, you know, we later learned it, it was right around the time that he, he was told by Apple uh, hey, we got your stuff and your wife's stuff. That's right around the time he agreed to testify to the House Judiciary Dems, by the way. I thought that was probably unrelated, but kind of funny. Um, right. Now, but I want to talk about, because this is a very interesting guy, and he <laughs> has been smeared across the media for being involved in this, as has the judge, Deborah yeah. Robinson. Uh, but let's talk about Osmar Benvenuto. Yeah, okay, I am the first to admit this is a weird one, right? So, Bill Barr picked Benvenuto, right, who was a federal prosecutor from New Jersey, to oversee the leaks cases, right? Despite the fact that Benvenuto had basically no prior experience with these kinds of cases, right? And I cannot blame Democrats for thinking, you know, oh, okay, well, right, uh, Bill Barr, President's hatchet man, this got to be a pro-Trump crony that Barr has brought in to try and muddy up the waters and, you know, pin all the leaks on Democrats in Congress. Right. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, people who know Oz, by the way, that's what he goes by. (laughs) Yep. uh, Benvenuto, by the way, almost 10 years younger than me. He's just 39. He, He pushed back. On that sort of narrative, at least the people who know him did. They were like, there's no way it is. They said, quote, it's utterly implausible that he would have taken on some sort of political mission for Trump. And and he was actually concerned about it, too. He sought the advice of a lot of people. They pointed to the fact that Benvenuto is registered as a Democrat in New Jersey. He previously registered as a Democrat in New York City, uh, which is really I mean, you have to. You kind of have to do that. Uh, Paul Fishman. (laughs) Uh, the Obama-appointed U.S. attorney who hired Benvenuto back in 2012 said he was startled by language in a New York Times article that suggested uh, that ben, that Oz was part of a small circle of trusted aides around Barr. Everyone, everyone who read that in the New York Times piece, including me, I was like, who's that guy and who's the judge? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, all of people who know Oz are like, no, 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 he would, there's no way. And this brings me so much joy. Uh, Andrew, because if there is somebody called to testify that was close to, to this and had inside information, it'd be him. He'd be he'd be willing to show up and testify about it, I think. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. So it, it, Fishman's testimony, Fishman's um, statements uh, to The New York Times, I, I, I thought were really, really interesting because, look, even in the Trump administration, it was, you know, still technically illegal to ask people their partisan political affiliation when interviewing them for executive branch positions. So, you know, Fishman told Politico, like, look, I never asked people their political affiliation when I hired them. It's against the law. I wasn't interested. But, you know, given my many conversations with Oz since then, I'd be surprised if he is at all sympathetic <laughs> to the Trump administration, right? Um, and not just Fishman, right? Andrew Bruck at, at the USAO in New Jersey, right? He said, the idea that Oz is or was Bill Barr's stooge is just laughable 
It's just outrageous. So that's Andrew Brock. Yeah. And, and still, in the interest of turning over every possible stone, prominent Democratic lawmakers are publicly demanding that Oz be called before Congress. And this is what I love. Ted Lieu tweeted out, Bill Barr and Osmar Benvenuto should be in, invited to testify before Congress about the DOJ's secret seizure of metadata and attempts to get private data on Democratic members of Congress. If they refuse, they should be subpoenaed. I don't think Oz would refuse. And I feel so much better about Barr probably ignoring a subpoena because I think Oz might come in and talk. And I, I can't imagine... That Barr, I mean, I'm sure Barr knows things that Oz doesn't, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about this. And last year, a Department of Justice spokesperson declined to make Benvenuto available last year for an interview or to discuss the details of his assignment. I don't know that that would be the case this time. I, I, I think, I think your take is correct. And I think, you know, Ted Lou's approach is probably the right one here, right? I, it, it we need to balance out, right? Like I take seriously the testimonials we've talked about, right? Um, and and I agree with you. I think that Oz is, is very likely to testify voluntarily. So yes, right? Absolutely. He should be invited to testify. And then, you know, we'll, we'll learn based on his reaction. Larger story here is that <sighs> Merrick Garland is working reconstructing records from the ground up, right? Like when you fire people, particularly when you, you know, fire the mega hat wearing buffoons that have been the subject of our comings and going segment, mm -hmm. right? they don't leave little like post-it notes in their files that are like, Oh, Hey, this is the case file that has all the crime in it. Right. Like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta figure that stuff out as you go. Right. And, and so again, I get that that can be frustrating. I, I, I will say, right. It feels like, this is not a DOJ that wants to bury everything under the rug, right? Like this is a DOJ that is interested and is more importantly putting resources on these sorts of issues. Yeah. yeah I, and, you know, I've said so many times before before that, after the Judge Amy Berman Jackson, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, opinion yeah. came out about releasing the bar memo, I said this could be the bellwether of how this Department of Justice operates. And the, the the decision was split. He he released some, and he and he kept others for appeal. And I think I was right. That is a perfect bellwether <laughs> of how this Department of Justice is going to function. They're going to be like, well, yeah, right. here's the whole first part of the memo where where Bill Barr was full of shit. You're right. Uh, he, the second part of the memo, because of deliberative process and institutional stuff that we want to be able to preserve in the future, we're not going to release that. We're going to try to appeal it. Because uh, I have to, you know, I have to, because it's the deliberative process uh, privilege and uh, I have to. So I th I think we were correct in in that assertion that, that whatever he did with the bar memo was going to be sort of a litmus test on how the rest of it would go. And that's how it's going. Um, but, you know, putting a lot of resources back on, on this issue with the Department of Justice, they they have to. Uh, it's going to take a top-to-bottom review of the Justice Department. That is a ton of work. I talked about how big and sprawling the Justice Department was in the last episode of Mueller, she wrote. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, we, we, I, I talked about they had 57,000 criminal cases indicted in 2020 at U.S. attorney's offices alone. They handled 92,000, almost 93,000 civil matters. Uh, that doesn't include the seven Washington-based litigation divisions, which we talk about, the criminal, civil, national security, civil rights, antitrust, tax, and environment and natural resources divisions. And it doesn't even touch the resources the Trump administration just pretty much ignored, like the pardon attorney's office, <laughs> right? Like, mm. I, 
I, those are all excellent points, right? Like, so look, this is a tangled web, right? And and we should also point out, right, despite comings and goings, Garland doesn't have his DOJ yet, right? He does not have a DOJ that is at full strength, right? Biden is selecting and nominating uh, uh, various executive branch officials. But like the bottleneck comes from the advice and consent approval of the Senate, right? Which just plods along, right? Like, uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing for the head of Garland's criminal division was only held late last month. And there is not a single Senate confirmed U.S. attorney nominated by President Biden in any of the 94 offices across the country. Yeah. They don't need to take an August break. I don't care if it's constitutionally yeah, mandated. Stay not. home yeah. and stay in there and put put some U.S. attorneys in their goddamn seats, please. Pardon my French. Don't. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, to expedite things, as we told you last week, Garland is tasked Lisa Monaco, who is the, the yep. new Snoop Dag, right? It's Deputy Attorney General, with a surfacing potentially problematic matters. I love this language. Deserving <laughs> high level review. Uh, and has had numerous conversations with the Department of Justice Inspector General to investigate this subpoena incident, uh, which I, I trust. I think Horowitz will do a good job and do the right thing here. I, I agree. But it, that's going to take months and months. And and, the, and meanwhile, the Senate wants information. But this is this is going to be a ton of work. And, you know, I just want to remind everybody that you're probably going to see the Senate Dems and the House Dems demand a bunch of documents with regards to this investigation. And you might see Merrick Garland refuse to hand over stuff that that was pertained to a grand jury because he has to. That is you, yep. you can't do that. Uh, and I just I hope everyone's like, he's covering up the truth. He's got <laughs> Bill Barr's dick in his mouth. Look, you it's you can't hand over things that are illegal to hand over. Uh, I'm sure he'd be happy to go to court with it. But it's going to take a ton of work, a ton of reviewing documents that the supporters of the last guy didn't want found. Yeah. No, that, that ultimately the bottom line is, right, this show's mission, right? Being able to go to the American people and tell them once and for all with finality, was the DOJ enlisted as a partisan political weapon for use against the president's political enemies, right? And, and, and of course, look, like, yes, the <laughs> answer is seems yes. plausible. Yeah. Right. It seems pretty plausible to us. But the question is, right, how do you build that case, right? And how do you build it in such a way that will respond against, you know, nonsense and QAnon deniers and all of the pushback? You have to have, you know, locked down A to B to C to D. Yeah, and and that's where we're gonna have to kind of remember that catch twenty two the the ta- the tantric nature of justice and I and I don't mean I don't mean tantric in a sexy way I mean tantric in really? a in a hot yoga way it's it oh, okay. takes a long time it's very uncomfortable uh, but look everything takes time I you everybody who listens to us knows that you know we we kind of talk about this all the time investigations take time building criminal cases takes time. But meanwhile, you and I see this every day. The average person is looking at the totality of the circumstances and saying, you know, these sorts of of fundamental questions about ethics are just going unanswered. But as Joyce puts it here, Americans' reservoir of trust for the Justice Department is running low. The process of replenishing it can't be shunted aside while the new team assesses the damage. This is a moment 
for rebuilding the airplane while you're flying it. That's my rate. That's my favorite Ray Bradbury uh, <laughs> quote there. I say it all the time. You know, I, I look for cliffs to jump off of and build my wings on the way down. That's what we have to do in this situation. I, I it's a, it's a great metaphor. And I, I look, I, I, I agree. Um, these kinds of solutions begin right with something that, you know, we saw <laughs> promised by the Obama administration and, you know, delivered to varying degrees, if we're going to be if we're going to be fair. Right. <laughs> and that is right. The question of transparency. Right. So I, it is if I could give advice to, to Attorney General Merrick Garland, if you're listening, we know you are right. Proactively discuss the kind of legal strategies that you're engaging in, right? That that way you can do things like explain why you're defending the religious schools mandate and opposing the intervention of the Alliance Defending Freedom. That way you could have headed off that entire terrible Washington Post article and I wouldn't have had to do an entire episode of OA about how the mainstream media was getting this wrong. <laughs> that was 498, by the way. <laughs> yeah, or the, you know, the E. Jean Carroll case. Come out. Yep, Talk to us yep. like we're grownups because we're fucking yeah, grownups. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Why would that be a radical departure from the way the DOJ typically works? Uh, is it because a prosecu as a prosecutor you aren't allowed to publicize the details of investigations in progress or, like I said, leak grand jury yeah. testimony? Yeah, I, that's, that's exactly right. All those rules are in place and they form guardrails, right? Like, But, but look, I, it... I get that. It's fair to push back. But but there's nothing that prevents the DOJ from being transparent about the way that it works nope. and about its decision making process. Right. It can. Yeah. Openly like discuss, that, that, that friggin yeah. uh, motion that they filed to appeal the release of the second half of the Bill Barr memo from March 2019. They yeah. didn't explain it to you like you were an adult. They didn't say, hey, yeah. look, this deliberative process privilege. Here's why it's important. Here's why, you know, we need to defend it regardless of this or that or who. And da, 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 you know, and that's why we're doing this. But they, instead, they put forth this weak sauce legal argument. You know, I, 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 I totally agree. Right? Like, the, the, you, I think. I mean, I guess the way I would summarize it is right. On the left, right? We can do better. We can demand better. And and I think Biden's DOJ has to do better. Yeah, and I really I think that this proactive transparency situation is 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 the way to go. You know, if you're not going to prosecute obstruction of justice, like even the most little C conservative Mueller testified that you could, uh, tell me why. Just tell me why. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, again, I'm a big girl. I think it would go a long way towards rectifying the fact that Bill Barr essentially acted as Trump's personal lawyer during his stint in office and never explained shit to anybody. Why should I show you those notes? Eh. So, this, yeah. you know, the Department of Justice is not supposed to be a political tool. And bringing it all together, that's why Trump's attorney general, Sessions and Barr, attorneys general, uh, ha have denied that they were briefed on the subpoenas or say they can't recall, which is obfuscating <laughs> as hell, as did, uh, you know, narrow shouldered wisp of a man, Rod Rosenstein. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, for me personally, Brock Rosenstein, such a hard case. Look, I, it, I, I, I don't want to point a figure at any one person, but um, the, the DOJ like re requires that notification uh, be made to the highest levels in cases that involve national security and classified information, right? Like, like a leak investigation, right? Um, there, there are also 
rules, high-level notification rules for any matter that involves members of Congress or the media. So, you know, as as you pointed out, even if Swalwell and Schiff weren't direct targets of the investigation, if they were swept up in it, if their information was connected, was collected merely because they had contact with someone who was like that, that's still the kind of thing that ordinarily you think gets run up the flagpole, right? Gets gets sent to the highest levels. Yeah, oh, you would think. And not only that, but I'm pretty sure Billy Barr wrote a fucking memo saying, hey, anybody <laughs> who's you want to investigate anyone who's running for Congress, you have to tell the, the high level leaders, national security, uh, et cetera, the Department of Justice, anybody running for president, vice president, Swalwell, for example, you have to get express written consent uh, from me, Bill Barr, if you want to open yep. an investigation into them. So there is just... Per his own shitty memo, there's no way he didn't know. But I, I, you've made that point before. It is excellent, and uh, and I think we need to be sharing that far and wide. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're saying uh, we just need to keep an eye on it. Yep. Sounds like my whole life. <laughs> That's meta, man. All right, we'll be right back with more right after this. Everybody, stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG for Clean Up on Aisle 45. When it comes to skincare, most home remedies and over-the-counter acne products do not work, or they can actually damage your skin. Prescription treatments, that's where Apostrophe comes in. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed oral and topical medications that are clinically proven to help clear up acne. Apostrophe connects you with board-certified dermatologists who will create a personalized treatment plan specifically tailored to your unique skin. You just fill out Apostrophe's online quiz about your skin goals, you fill out some medical history, snap a few selfies, and your board-certified dermatologist will create a customized treatment plan just for you. Apostrophe treats acne, but they can also help hit your other skincare goals, like reducing redness or the fine lines and wrinkles around your eyes, and even dark spots, too. Personally, I wanted to go for the acne because for some reason, even though I'm 47, I haven't gotten my zit clemency yet. I'm very upset about this. I put that as part of my skin treatment plan, plus to get the little wrinkles around my eyes. And with Apostrophe, it's nice to know you have a real dermatologist, by the way, and your plan was tailored just for you, just like mine was tailored for me. Submitting for my visit was quick. It was simple, very user-friendly. I didn't have to schedule an appointment. I didn't have to sit on the phone. I didn't have to go to a doctor's office. I didn't have to see my primary care physician and then get a referral to a specialist and then pay a huge copay. But best of all, I didn't have to go to the pharmacy to wait to get my meds either. They sent them directly to my house. And they have little postcards and stickers. They personalize my prescription bottle. It's really adorable. I love the unpacking and the unboxing. And we have a special deal for you. You can save $15 off your first visit with a board-certified dermatologist, making your visit only $5 by going to apostrophe.com slash cleanup, all one word. And when you use code cleanup, that code is only available to you. Uh, you can get started by going to apostrophe.com slash cleanup and click begin visit. Then use our code cleanup, all one word, when you sign up and you'll get $15 off your dermatology visit. So it's just $5 to speak to a board certified dermatologist. You will not find that kind of copay around town. That's apostrophe, A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash cleanup and use code cleanup, all one word, to get your dermatology visit and save $15. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the show. And welcome back to Clean Up on Aisle 45. So, look, uh, this isn't quite a comings and goings. Uh, more of a thank God this asshole is gone. Right. And by this asshole, I mean uh, the pin I told you to put in earlier. The only person who recognizes that he actually is the villain in his own story. Mr. I have Richard Nixon tattooed on my lower back. And I quote from the bad guys in Godfather. And and by the way, uh, hit on uh, close personal friends of mine. You know who I mean? Roger Stone. Do, do, do. 
Yeah, now this is an amazing story, Andrew, bo- broken by your namesake, Andy, <laughs> but Andy Kroll in, the, in Rolling Stone, and it's flown completely under the radar. So let's set this up. We have to talk to you about Rebecca Mercer. Uh, she's the daughter of billionaire hedge fund asshole Robert Mercer, uh, who was key in the 2016, you know, 2016 election, huge Trump donor, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who's been called the first lady of the alt-right, Rebecca Mercer. So, you know, a real peach. (laughs) And the Washington Post has reported the Mercers had given at least 36.6 million. Again, that's almost $40 million to Republican candidates and super PACs since 2010. They've poured money into Breitbart, which you may recall was a Steve Bannon joint before he took over Trump's campaign and they had, they broke up. Yeah, and, and and put a pin in that. We're going to get to that one. Um, these are the kind of billionaire grifters you get when, you know, you're a criminally insane game show host and you get elected president, right? So Rebecca went to Stanford, got a master's degree, went to work for Daddy's Hedge Fund, married a managing director at Morgan Stanley, and they now live in what Bloomberg describes as a $28 million apartment on the Upper West Side, which, you know, I guess good gig if you can get it. Um, and... <laughs> And and look, she runs the Mercer Family Foundation, which, as you pointed out, uh, Allison, gives millions to alt-right causes. Yeah, and she's been super close to Bannon, the walking cold sore, for more than a decade. And Steve has been effusive in his praise of Mercer <laughs> in return. Uh, in 2017, he told The New Yorker, irrefutably, when you look at the donors during the past four years, they have had the single biggest impact of anybody, including the Kochs. And, you know... That's Bannon bragging, so I'm inclined to believe him. I Only time you can, right? So look, <laughs> that same New Yorker reporting notes that in 2011, Rebecca Mercer invested $10 million into Breitbart on the condition that they place Bannon on the board of directors, right? And then Andrew Breitbart, namesake, died a few months later, which left the entire company in Steve Bannon's hands. Which coincidentally turns out to be exactly when Bannon met with Donald Trump to discuss Trump potentially running for office the first time around 2011. Yeah. Now, if that wasn't weird enough, check this out. As it turns out, Bannon and Mercer also ran in the same circles with longtime Democratic pollster Pat Cadell whom the (laughs) Washington Post described as the player who first wrote the instructions manual for a Trump presidency. For years, Cadell conducted extensive public opinion research showing Americans were sick of the two-party system and ripe for an outsider candidate to take the White House. He called this the Candidate Smith Project in reference to the 1939 Stewart movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Uh, In 2013, Cadell showed his polling data to Mercer and Bannon at a conservative conference in Palm Beach, who then shared them with Roger Stone, who then shared them with Trump. All right. So we've got our own axis of evil. Now, now let's let's fast forward to 2016. And and AJ, you're going to love this because Roger Stone enlisted your good friend. Blackwater founder Eric Prince um, and and like everything these people do, they decided to name their secret project something evil sounding like Hail Hydra. Right. This time it was called Project Clintonson. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, this this is a 13 page proposal uh, uncovered by The Washington Post. Quote, we do not need to make major gains among African-American voters. We need merely to dampen turnout and make it difficult 
for the black Democratic elected officials in Hillary's pocket to turn out black voters at Obama-like levels, a shift of a few points in the right places can swing this election, right? So an open voter suppression strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds really familiar. Um, and uh, yeah, it worked. <laughs> the aim yep. of Project Clintonson, that reminds me of Mr. Maffrinsonson, fish called Wanda, <laughs> was to spotlight a young black man named Danny Williams, who claims that he is Bill Clinton's son, and to cast Hillary Clinton as the villain of this drama. The pitch for Project Clintonson says that Williams was definitively the abandoned son of Bill Clinton, that African-American voters would be incensed to learn that it was Hillary who demanded Bill abandon his only son. This is real. Uh, there is, of course... <laughs> No evidence supporting claims about Danny Williams and the Clintons, uh, but, you know, proving that wasn't really the point. The goal of this, kind of like just to announce an investigation into the Bidens right. by Zelensky. The point of this project was to weaponize a conspiracy theory about a supposed illegitimate son of Bill Clinton as a way to disgust black Americans and dissuade enough of them from voting in the 2016 elections. And that's according to actual documents obtained by Rolling Stone. Um, I, you know, I'm... I looked through this article, Andrew, and it's just, it's so reminiscent of, of the kind of plots that were going on with, you know, the, the robocalls in 2020 mm -hmm. that Jacob Wool went, is going to go down for, the, the Cambridge Analytica stuff, the Black Cube stuff, all that stuff that we were learning about, you know, the ones that ended up paying that uh, child porn guy, uh, Nader, Na yeah. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of uh, like th three million in cryptocurrency to Joel Zamel, who's friends with Ice Cube. I mean, it's just a ridiculous murder board. <laughs> but I mean, these are the kinds of stories that just seem unbelievable, but they aren't. And there's so much more to it. Uh, but we do have to take a quick break. So everybody okay. stick around. We'll be right back. Yes, there's more. Hey, everybody. Thanks for supporting Cleanup on L45. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by the folks at Talkspace. When it comes to therapy and psychiatry, getting the help you need has never been so simple. When you're able to access your provider from the comfort of your own device and from your own home or from wherever you are, it means therapy can be on your schedule. And it alleviates the wait times to get an appointment or the travel time or the parking or sitting in a crowded waiting room. It's just so convenient. And it's accessible. And it helps me feel supported around the clock. Talkspace lets you send and receive unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist in the Talkspace platform 24-7. With Talkspace, you set goals with your therapist and they hold you accountable and make sure you're really progressing. Therapy can help you shift your perspective, find tools to cope in difficult times, and be a guiding light. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7, and they'll engage with you daily, five days a week. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience in over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance, substance abuse, trauma, anger management, relationship issues, food and eating, so much more, so many experts. Talkspace is secure and private. Use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information and comply with the latest HIPAA regulations as well. As a listener of this show, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure you use the code CLEANUP, all one word, to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's CLEANUP at Talkspace.com. Yeah, so right before the break, you were talking about 
a bunch of different stories, some of which are criminal, some of which are sort of skirting the line. And, and I think it is worth emphasizing, right, that, yes, that there was a certain amount of this tiptoeing up to the line that you can find in an isolated way in every campaign in American history. Right. But but I think it's fair to say sort of two things. Number one, the sheer confluence of all of this dirty trickery in 2016, um, you know, really stands out at an unprecedented level. And number two, that many of these didn't just cross the line, but obliterated it. Right. And and that turns out to be the case for Project Clintonson. Right. Like So so far, we've been describing, you know, dirty tricks, trying to smear uh, Hillary Clinton with, you know, telling Bill Clinton that he had to abandon his, you know, only black son and whatever. Um, The key piece of evidence that was just uncovered uh, was Roger Stone telling Steve Bannon via text, quote, (laughs) this is really, you know, this is the way Roger Stone talks, right? This is actual text. I know your surrogates are dumb, Steve, but try to get them to understand Danny Williams case. He goes public in a big way on Monday. I've raised 150K for the targeted black digital campaign through a C4. Okay, that means a 501C4 tax exempt corporation that can engage in political lobbying. And, And here's the crucial part. And tell Rebecca to send us some money, right? $3 signs. (laughs) That means a partially expensive restaurant. Tell Rebecca to send us partially expensive food. No. Yeah, we're not going to Nobu here. (laughs) (laughs) So Rebecca is Rebecca Mercer, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and so look, I I know it can feel like post-Citizens United that there are no rules anymore, but there are rules, right? And one of them is that super PACs cannot coordinate with presidential campaigns. Now, look, um, I, I, I don't want to overemphasize how strong these rules are. Right? Like these are the kinds of things that are usually not hard to evade through surrogates. Right. It's kind of like the rules about bundling campaign donations. But uh, as Dinesh D'Souza has proven, if you are corrupt enough and stupid enough. Right. You can wind up committing a crime because you don't care even to pretend to try and follow the rules that would get you around this. Right. And here. Same thing. This is a Dinesh D'Souza level stupid crime. One hundred percent. Right. A super PAC coordinator, Roger Stone, cannot ask an employee of the Trump presidential campaign, the campaign manager at the time of the Trump presidential campaign, to have one of its donors, Rebecca Mercer, send money to the super PAC. Right. That is the definition of coordination. Uh, Is was Stone pardoned for this kind of thing? No, no, <laughs> he was not. Uh, this is this is entirely fresh territory upon which he could be prosecuted, maybe <laughs> if it were not for the fact that the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, is uh, critically hobbled in terms of investigating election crimes. Mm-hmm. We are waiting for for uh, uh, for Biden's appointees to be uh, confirmed um, and and. um the additional problems are uh, this is a super hard case to bring uh, either as an elections violation certainly would be incredibly difficult to bring, uh, you know, as a criminal referral because everybody involved is, 
you know, a stone cold Trump loyalist. Right. Like um, Mercer, you you talked about uh, her essentially getting Steve Bannon the Breitbart job. Right. Um, in 2018, you remember when Trump had to try and distance himself from Steve Bannon? Oh, they broke up. It was it was harsh. <laughs> it was like a WWE Smackdown breakup. Yeah, uh, he called him Sloppy Steve on Twitter, which, you know, didn't quite take off the way Lion Ted did. But uh, but when that happened, uh, Rebecca Mercer lined up 100 percent behind Trump. She said, quote, I support President Trump and the platform upon which he was elected. My family and I have not communicated with Steve Bannon in many months and have provided no financial support to his political agenda, nor do we support his his recent actions and statements, you know, all the white supremacist stuff we're totally on board with. Yeah. She did not add. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Bannon in many months and have provided no financial support to his political agenda. And I'm not an alien. Uh, <laughs> she just reminds me of the, uh, the this island earth. OK. Now, as we know what Stone is up to. Right. I, I mean, in yeah. his email to Rolling Stone, Stone said the group's activities were perfectly legal (laughs) he insisted danny williams was indeed bill clinton's son and sent a link to the joel gilbert documentary about williams joel gilbert Uh, (laughs) the same movie touted in prince's 2016 fundraising email eric prince quote education is not voter suppression stone told rolling stone be very careful what you write As defamation will be met with legal action. I'll get you and your little dog, too. I added that last part. Yeah, that's a nonsense threat. And by the way, like, that's not how lawyers accuse people of defamation. But, you know, uh, to to quote the the, to quote Roger Stone, he's not even a lawyer and he's kicking your ass. uh, Yeah. The sad fact is that it worked. Right. Yeah. Clinton pulled over, uh, pulled over 90 percent of the African-American vote in 2016, but it diminished. But diminished turnout made the difference in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Michigan. And of course, there were other things going on besides this yeah, particular yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. Uh, and of course, at Trump Tower, Trump bragged that low turnout helped him win the presidency. He bragged about it. Eh, people don't yep. show up. I win. Many blacks didn't go to vote for Hillary because they liked me. No, that's not, that's not <laughs> what happened. <laughs> Uh, but that's, you know, something Trump said, according to a leaked recording of the meeting, many blacks didn't go out to vote for Hillary because they liked me. That was almost as good as getting the vote, you know, and it was great. He actually said uh, that. I, he did. Right. Yeah. They they loved me. So, you know, they stayed home. But uh, what a, I, it's just all I can say is, uh, you know, we're we're unlikely to get justice in this individual mm-hmm. instance. I mean, here, yeah, statute but, uh, limitations is almost up. Yeah. And it, it, it is. I mean, you have a discovery rule argument, but I, I'm just glad these people are gone. Right. You know, so to, to tie it back into our longstanding, you know, like. Good goodbye to you, man. <laughs> yeah, bye bye. And, and I have to say, you know, I, as much as I complain and have sued the government for wrongful termination after investigating my podcast, I do have to kind of say thanks because if it weren't for them firing me, I, I would have been bound by the Hatch Act, and you and I couldn't have raised half a million dollars to fire them. So <laughs> I gotta say, uh, turnabout's fair play. Uh, before we get out of here, I have a Cummings that I would like to talk about. Ooh. That I. 
I think is probably, remember how we were like, let's make Kamala the attorney general. Let's make Adam Schiff the attorney general. Fuck him. Yeah. You know, like sort of vindictive political appointments we were hoping for. And I'm like, no, probably yeah, what's going to happen. Don't say that like that's a bad thing. Is we're going to get a bunch of people who, you know, we'd never heard of. Well, President Biden plans to nominate Christy Grimm. <laughs> to be the Inspector General at Health and Human Services. If she sounds familiar, she should. She was one of the multiple Inspectors General that Trump fired or tried to get rid of or hide under carpets, uh, you know, when he was criming and didn't want any Inspectors General to figure it out. Last year, Trump tried to replace Grimm, who was in the role as, you know, as an acting Inspector General at Health and Human Services. But he didn't like her because she released a report, remember, on testing and PPE, saying yep. there's shortages at hospitals during this pandemic. You suck at this. There's a big problem. He was like trying to get rid of her. Well, <laughs> Biden's going to make her permanent. <laughs> I, I, I love this. Is one hundred percent a thumb in the eye? Like the, this was. I mean, just for 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 the for the proper context. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, during the White House Coronavirus Task Force press briefing, right? The uh, the 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 time when uh, after being peppered by questions, Trump responded, you know, hey, did I hear the word inspector general right? and ask the reporters, wait, what's his name? No, what's his name? What's his name? If you tell me his name, like, I'd really appreciate it. The reporter was like, um, well, a, it's a woman, and B, I'm not going to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> that that was Christy Grimm. Yeah. So uh, I love it. I love it. So welcome uh, back, or congrats, or I don't. I think she's still here, but now she'll be the HHS Inspector General, and she will be a good one. Um, I, I've I've enjoyed her work in the past. I mean, even though it was on terrible, co- you know, content and awful, awful stuff that that was going on during the uh, totally mismanaged response to the pandemic, uh, particularly with testing and PPE uh, back in the early days. But uh, I'm, I'm glad yeah. she's going to be the IG. Yeah. And and look, we both love the schadenfreude here, but I, it should be noted that she is eminently qualified to take over this position, right? Um, oh, yeah. Has been, yeah, the chief of staff and deputy inspector, inspector general at HHS, right? Like, this is not just a thumb in the eye. This is also somebody who can clearly do the job. Yeah, and that's what I love about it, is is that she's immensely qualified, but also, <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't know. I just I love it. I love these kind of little you and me both tiny little knife twists, which in any other previous administration, people would have been like jaws on the floor. What? You know, but now it's like that's another day. Anyway, uh, this has been a wonderful show. Tons of information. Uh, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to the arrest of Roger Stone. Uh, I don't know when that's going to happen, but, you know, I mean, we've got so many things on the burner. We've got Gates and Rudy and Stone and Bannon and I don't know. I just, uh, you know, the higher ups in the insurrection, there's just so much going on. And uh, I'm glad that I'm so I'm thankful and honored that everybody kind of turns to us to see how things are cleaning up. Yeah. And. That's what we're going to be here doing. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, <pretty laughs> for much. at least the next uh, three and a half years, right? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I will be out of town next week. You're going to be on your own. I think you're going to have a special guest co-host. I will. That'll be a great secret and uh, we'll have a lot of fun. Nobody can fill your shoes, but, uh, you know, we'll 
we'll do our best to get by. They can. They just need to have a size nine and a half and you're good Ooh. to go. I know. I'm very tall. All right, everybody. Until uh, next week, thank you so much. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Andrew Torres. And this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.